That's Judy. She's awesome. Yes. She's so cool. Uh, I just heard today that we, that we lost one of our members, Frances Walker, uh, passed away on Wednesday. And uh, it, you might not know her. She's been here forever. And if you've ever eaten food here, she probably helped prepare it. So um, I'll, we'll give you more details coming up real soon. But she's with the Lord right now. And uh, we were grieving, and it's hard. And um, we, we miss her terribly. And so I just wanted to let you know about that. So we'll be praying. You know, just keep her in your prayers. We're going to be praying for her at the end of the service. And in addition to that, our community, uh, we, had a, we had a really horrible homicide. And so uh, we're going to keep, uh, in Claremont, we're going to keep that, uh, that family in our prayers too. Uh, it was a, a brother killed his sister. Um, and so I don't know how you lose two kids in one day. It's just horrible. But uh, anyway... Uh, we'll be, you know, we'll keep them in your prayers at the end when we close. So, uh, yeah, it's tough sometimes, but um, you know what? Life goes on, and we're gonna we're gonna see the good things of God today. Um, we're gonna move forward. All right, Amen. Uh, last week we looked at the whole idea of God's grace is sufficient, and uh, in Second Corinthians twelve. Uh, Paul has a Paul has a bit of a tinge of frustration, and he's he's annoyed at the Corinthians because they are so materialistic and superficial, and they're very surface types of people that are that that they are attracted to shiny, pretty things. They're they're attracted to celebrity. They're attracted to uh, fakeness. Uh, they, they they don't run too deep. It's all superficial for the Corinthians. And so Paul's addressing that, and he actually has he they they've actually forced his hand because they have been attracted to um, what he calls super apostles. So he's the Corinthians in their in their superficial lifestyle are they're going to the next fancy thing and, and the next fancy fancy thing are these super apostles and so he's actually he's, he's addressing this issue of of people that kind of refuse to grow up spiritually and so um he makes a very important statement one is that he's had he's had intimate encounters with god like he knows god like they might be great orators, or they might, you know, claim that, that they hear from God and they, they're the only ones that can interpret the scriptures properly. And, you know, you can't, you're not a true believer unless you believe what they believe. So this is kind of what he's dealing with. And Paul just says, look, I've had experiences that trump everybody's here. But the most important experience I've ever had was when I was intimate with God. And he just kind of he just kind of puts them in their place with that with that very statement. And then he goes on to say, "I have a lot of issues. I have a lot of insecurities. I'm not a I'm not a super preacher. But God's grace is sufficient." Hmm? He actually quotes Jesus. He says, God's grace is sufficient for everything that I lack. And see, what, what the difference between Paul's approach and how he loves people and how he brings people in is he's, he, he acknowledges his own weakness. He, he comes at it from, from, a, from a point of humility, which is a very difficult thing. When was the last time you saw somebody that was really into material things and they were humble? When was the last time you saw somebody driving a Ferrari that was humble, right? 
And this is the mentality that he's dealing with. And the same is true for people that think that they have all the answers and they can completely direct people's lives. There is no spirit of humility there. And Paul's saying, look, that God's grace is sufficient for all of our weaknesses. And we, we looked at that in depth last week. And today, he says something that just, well, let's read it. He says something that's just absolutely incredible and we got to get it. Go. 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to look at verses 8 through 12. Paul's addressing his thorn in his side, so he's being very transparent with his people. He's saying, look, I got issues. There's reasons why I, I'm not the super apostle. There, God, God, wants him hum, God wants me humble on a certain level. Then he goes on to say, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn out of my side. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And here we go. This is what we're going to look at today. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I, I, uh, I surveyed you last week. How many people need more power in their lives? And a large majority of you raised your hand. We, look, we need more power in our lives. How do you do it? I mean, it, it, it's already right there. I mean, the sermon's over. His power is made perfect in weakness. So what does that mean? Does that mean that, that we have to be weak, feeble Christians that get, you know, everybody just runs all over us and we just, we always automatically tap out, we automatically submit? Not, not at all. Not at all. And we will see, we'll see that get fleshed out. It says, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Wouldn't it be amazing if we had Christ's power, his healing power, his delivering power, empowering grace that we actually can rest in. It actually settles on us. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. This is hard for guys, very hard for guys to do. When was the last time you actually delighted in your own weakness? I am so glad I am such a big sissy, right? <laughs> Man, if I wasn't a sissy, I would take over the world. Okay, I have another joke. Want to hear the joke? Yeah. Last week's joke was pretty bad, I know. If you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, you got to watch the download. It's, it's, it's a, it was a little edgy joke. All right, but... I delight in weakness, in hardship, in persecutions. This, what he's saying, this thorn in my side, it keeps me humble. Why, why did God create alcohol? Here's the joke. Why did God create alcohol? So the Irish wouldn't take over the world. <laughs> it's completely not biblical or true. Or, or It's just a really bad joke, okay? It's not true. Uh, maybe it is a little. Maybe there's a tinge of truth in that. But do you, do you, okay, so it, weakness is a good thing. Like we need to know our own limitations. We need to know our own fallibilities. We need to know our own vanity. Uh, we have a tendency to be vain people. It's pride. What's the number one sin? It's the P word. It's pride. I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. All right, uh, look, I know most of us are going through difficulties. I'm going through difficulties. And we, we are to 
enjoy them? We're, we're, we're supposed to like the difficulties that we're in? Why? That doesn't that just seem really bizarre and sadistic? Like God actually wants to take pleasure in our difficulties? That doesn't make any sense at all. God, you don't understand what my difficulties are. You have no idea the pain that I'm going through and the, the heartache that I have or the abuse that I've taken or the injustice, the injustice that I've experienced. Why would I want to delight in this? Because this is awful. The process is okay, though. And we've got to change the way that we think about our problems so that they can grow us and then they can mature us. And then he says it, For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the thing that we've got to understand about the kingdom of God, it is, it's like the upside-down kingdom, folks. It, it, intuitively, it does not make sense. Logically, it does not make sense. If you, want to be, if you want to be superior in the kingdom, if you want to be a super apostle, then you have to be the least of these. If you want to advance, then you need to be weak. If you want to be first, then you've got to be last. If you want to be strong, then you have to acknowledge your weakness. It's tough stuff, all right? Paul goes on to say, I've made a fool of myself. <laughs> this is great. But you drove me to it. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the super apostles and the Corinthians, these superficial people. You guys drive me crazy. You made me do this. You see his frustration. See, Paul's actually going through a difficult time right now. You know that? This is, he's actually expressing difficulty because he loves these people. He loves them to death. I won't think I would love them. These are rich folks. They've got means. They've got money. And Paul loves them so much that he's making the Macedonians finance his missions trip to the rich folks. How would you like it if I said Granite Creek? I want you to finance me to go minister in Beverly Hills. How would you feel about that? You'd be thinking, well, they've got plenty of money. They don't need my money to lead them to the Lord. But see, that's, that's his heart of it. Like he's after the rich folks in Orange County. He loves them so much. It just blows my mind. And here's the thing. They don't like him. They don't, they don't think he's cool. They don't think he's shiny. He's not... He doesn't have the, 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 the pizzazz that the super apostles have. So he loves them, and they don't like him. And so this is, this is why he's frustrated, because he knows that they're being led astray. He knows that they're being taught a gospel other than that of the gospel of Jesus. I ought to have been commended by you, for I am not the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle. So take note of this. And this applies to everybody. This applies to all believers. The marks of a true apostle, the marks of a true disciple, the marks of a follower of Christ is including signs, wonders, and miracles. These guys, these super apostles, they talk too much and they do very little. They're great communicators. Like, they're just like, they sit in the audience like, wow, that was amazing. You just dumped all this knowledge on me, and I feel so enlightened. But nothing is ever done. There are no signs. There are no wonders. There are no actions. There are no orphans being fed. There, are, there is no evangelism going on. It's, like, it is, it's club med for Christians, Right? 
Like they're paying to go to the conference so they can, they can get another buzz. What's going on? All right, so we need more power in our lives. And it's tied to this area of weakness, right? So let's just, how, how, do, you, how, do, you do, it, how do you do it in a healthy way? Because honestly, we, we are not called to be whiny Christians. So what does weakness really look like in the, in the believer? What is it, how does it really empower us? First of all, there's, there's, there's going to be, I got, how many do I have? I have three pitfalls to power, and I've got four ways to get power. There's a lot more, but the Holy Spirit and my wife told me to the, not to go over all of them. Because we would be, we'd be here a long time. So let's look at the, the three pitfalls that I think that are important for us as a church right now. First is stagnation. What will hinder power in your life in a, in a dramatic way is just, it, it's stagnation. It is just accepting where you're at, the status quo, just kind of like, you know what, this is, this is my, I, I, I'm weak in this area, and this is the way that it is. Here we go. It is the thorn in my side, right? So this is, this is my lot in life, and I'm just going to accept it. This is my, this is my niche, I'm always going to struggle with this area of my life. I'm never going to get beyond. I'm never going to get breakthrough. I'm never going to have victory. And then you just, you stagnate, right? If you ever get stuck, look, look, I get stuck all the time. I don't like being stuck spiritually. I got to get out. I got to, I want to go on to the next level. I know, I know that there's some weak areas of my life and that's a good thing, but that does not mean that I have to accept those weak areas of my life. Does that make sense? Okay, just because God wants me to remain weak, it doesn't mean that that gives me the excuse not to work on the weaknesses. I've got to go after these weaknesses, and I can't choose to say stagnant. So basically, like if you're not moving in your spiritual life, or if you're not taking steps of faith, if you're not risking, then that actually takes away your power. Because when you're weak, that means that you're dependent on God and not dependent on your own abilities and your own circumstances. It's very frustrating because when I know that I'm weak, let's say financially, and it's like I have worked my tail off to make it happen, right? I have beat every bush. I have knocked on every door. I have made every sales call. I have moved money from here to there, and I still cannot get ahead within my own power. I am frustrated. This is a difficult thing. Guess what? That's good. Because once you've exhausted all of your resources, what do you have left? God. You have to trust God. And that's where he wants us. You know, I'm decent at making money. Like, like, if I couldn't pay my bills, and if God didn't exist, I got a bunch of junk in my garage, and I could take it all to the Rose Bowl, and I could live off it for a couple of months. Hmm? I could make it happen if I really had to. But you see, God doesn't want me doing that. He wants to be my provider, and I have to put my trust in Him in order for Him to be my provider. It's tough stuff. So he likes it. God likes it when, we de- when he depends on us. Because that means that we actually have to move out and we have to step out in faith. And here's the... Like, I'm saying this because I've been here and I've done that. 
church folks, charismatic and Pentecostals, which, which I am one. I don't know if you know that, but I am. Um, we value comfort over growth. So we will, we will trick ourselves in thinking that, you know what, I just want to be in God's presence so that I, I can be comfortable, so I can get my warm fuzzy, so I can get my spiritual buzz. Hmm. But see, God is more concerned about our, in, our true intimacy with him over our comfort with him. There's a difference. There's a huge difference between intimacy with God and comfort with God. Because intimacy with God requires vulnerability and requires pain and requires self-reflection and requires change. Meaning that you cannot be in the presence of God without it changing you. And change is hard for most people. Change hurts because it, it, it takes off and it rips off scales and scabs and issues that we cling on to, that we, that we find identity in. And so we think that, the, that intimacy with God is cozy time with God, but the majority of the time it is not. It is hard work. He's in your house and he's knocking down walls and he's pulling out pipes and he's painting your roof. He's ripping off your shingles, and that's intimacy, and it hurts. So don't confuse intimacy with comfort with God. He doesn't want you comfortable. I know. Isn't that tough? Like, God doesn't want us comfortable. Like, he wants us to have peace, and he wants us to have joy, and he wants us to be secure in who we are. But whatever, let's just say, let's go back to the financial thing. Let's say that you are struggling with that financial thing, and it's been for years that you have not had breakthrough on this thing. Why? Because in our mind, we think that if I could only, over, if I, okay, if I could only win the lottery, then I would be comfortable. It's not true. And God knows it. The reason why you haven't won the lottery is because you would blow it. Because God can't trust you with that money. That's one reason. The other reason, the odds are, are against you. <laughs> You're not going to win, folks. But if you do win, don't forget your church. Um, <laughs> but you see... We're so frustrated about our difficulties and we, sh- we ought to be delighting in our difficulties because these are the ones that we can handle. The difficulties that are beyond our circumstances now, we can't handle those. And so therefore, God's not going to promote us into that area. All right. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God, okay, the kingdom of God, functioning in God's kingdom, Growing spiritually, becoming more spiritually mature, is what? It's not a matter of talk, but of what? Of power. Kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. Sometimes we just talk too much. We read too much scripture. We go to too many Bible studies. We, we, we use God to run from God. Kingdom of God is not, it's not a matter of talk and, and knowledge and, and just, you know, more stuff. It's of power. The kingdom of God is of power. We've got to step into that. All right. This ties in. The next one. 
The next pitfall is that we have an imbalance in our spiritual disciplines. We have, there's a lot of spiritual disciplines I always want to look at too. I want to look at the, the area of, of knowing who we are in Christ, our authority in Christ, and then again this issue of walking and stepping into God's power. Luke 9, it's, it's absolutely amazing. In Luke 9, when Jesus called the 12 disciples together, he gave them power and authority. Okay, underline authority because that's what we're looking at. To drive out demons, to cure diseases, to heal the sick, kick down doors, take names, take over territory, be very aggressive in the kingdom of God. This is the very first time in the scriptures that this has ever happened, by the way. Usually, like in the Old Testament, it is the Spirit of God that would come on individuals. The Spirit of God came on David and empowered him. The Spirit of God came, actually the Spirit of God came into, um, uh, what's his name? I forgot his name, the judge. Anyway, Gideon. The Spirit of God came into Gideon and empowered Gideon to do stuff. The Spirit of God fell on Samson and gave him supernatural strength. So that's all, that, that, that power came on them. It's like the anointing. It came on them and it fell on him. This is unique what Jesus does because Jesus gives them power and what else does he give them? He gives them what? Gives them the authority. Now there's a lot of areas that we could be unbalanced in our our spiritual disciplines. Maybe you are not reading the Bible enough. Maybe you are not connected to the body of Christ where you're not, you know, you don't have accountability built in like a small group. Maybe, maybe you're not doing those things. That's not what I want to talk about right now. I want to talk about the issue of, of power and authority. A lot of Christians are walking in authority, but they don't walk in power. Like they know who they are, they know the word, they have the authority of God in their lives, and that gives them, a, a, and, and rightfully so, I'm not, not, making, I'm not bad-mouthing this, that gives them a, a, a place in, in a prestige, not a prestige, that's the wrong word, but it gives them, a, they carry themselves differently because they have the authority of God in their lives. They know who they are, and they know how they function, they know the word of God, they, they, they're able to tell the difference between right and wrong, but they don't walk in power. Like, their environment around them is not changing, but they have authority. Is that, is that weird? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? They're, they're not influencing their culture. They, have, they don't even have any power within their own homes. So dad has all the authority in the world, but he cannot change his family. Like, he's not, he's not leading his family because he doesn't have any power there. Same is true with women. They have the authority of God. They've, they, they have the understanding of who he is, but they have no power. All right? And vice versa, there are people on this planet that actually function in God's power, but they actually have no authority to do so. Do so. This is very frustrating because I've seen it. I have seen people work in miracles and signs and wonders, and the reason why God uses them is because they say, Here I am, Lord, use me. But they have no authority. And no one else is there around to, to, to pick up the, the, the mantle and to move forward with it. And so, yeah, God will use somebody that has absolutely no authority to do it. It's just maddening. I don't understand God. But that's what he does. <laughs> like, here's the sad truth. People, um, 
And again, you know, this kind of in the circles that I've grown up in and that I've seen in my history with God, it's really important that we review our history with God. Like even in some of the people that I've led to the Lord, I've led them to the Lord and all of a sudden, bam, they just tap, it's like they funnel into that power immediately. It's like it gets addicting when they get a hold of God's power, but they didn't develop their character and they have no authority because they don't know who they are in Christ. They're just, they've got God's toys, but they don't got God. Does that make sense? So there's both. And there has to, in the area of these spiritual disciplines, there has to be a balance. Think about a cop. What does a cop have? He's got two things. He's got a badge and he's got a gun. So what does the badge represent? His authority. And what does the gun represent? Power. So if we're, just think of yourself as a cop, as a spiritual cop, and, and God wants you to take territory, and you kick down a door, and you, and you jump into a, a crack house, and all you have is your badge. You guys, stop it, I'm going to arrest all of you, but all you've got is a badge. Like, initially, that authority is going to, to shock them, and it's going to freak them. They might even freeze. They might even put their hands up. But once they realize that you don't have any power, guess what? Game's over, right? And they're going to kick your teeth in, and you're going to lose. And it happens to so many Christians that think just because they have the authority to move forward that they do so, but they've never, they've, they fail to tap into God's power. And then big, giant messes get made in the kingdom of God when these vigilante people, the people that are not connected to the body of Christ, are working independently and separately from God. They, they go into a crack house, they kick down the door, they have no authority to do so, but they have a gun. And what do they do? They make a big, giant mess of everything that the church has to clean up. That makes sense? So there needs to be some, some balance. And again, this is a unique thing. Like, this is the very first time that Jesus gives us both, both authority and power. It's amazing. I, I, mean, I mean, it's amazing to me because usually God just, you know, he will, he will use people that are willing. But this is different. This is saying, you're part of the family now. Uh, uh, I'm giving you the credit card, son. I'm giving you an inheritance. I need you to keep this into your mind because this is, this is a, the identity of who we are, authority and power. A son and a daughter with authority and power. Just keep that in your mind as we finish up. All right, this one's tough. Uh, another pitfall of power is offense. Offense keeps us from tapping into power. It's actually one of the, it is one of the things that the devil is very good at. He will breed in offense. And the offended Christian is the powerless Christian. And, oh gosh, this is so tough, folks. We did a whole series on, on this, on, 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 on being an offended Christian. And what it does Whenever we have an offense, all right, we'll, we'll start with God first. Ever been offended at God? Yeah, well, you, some people are shaking their heads. They're honest. Everybody needs to be shaking their heads. Because I think about the time when, when you needed a breakthrough and you didn't get it, right? Or you needed a physical healing and... That person that you did not like next to you got physically healed, and you didn't. And you're just like, ah. 
And so we, we struggle through these things, and we, we get offended that God didn't touch us, or that God didn't heal us, or God chose somebody to bless over us, and that breeds in an offense, okay? But then you come to church, and you begin to work through this stuff, and you know that that's not a good attitude to have. It's not like a healthy character, because God's good, and you know that God's good. And so you transfer the offense to people, all right? So we're actually offended at God, and we don't even know it. We're offended at God, we don't even realize it. All right, this is going to be really hard, but I think it's true. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I've walked it. Usually when we are offended at people, it's nothing more than a projected at being offended at God. And generally, if you are offended at people in authority, then I, you just got to go home and you got to hit your knees and you got to go under your prayer closet and you need to work this thing out with God. Like, okay, I'll give you a practical example since it's election season. I hate election season. You know why? Because people in church start fighting and arguing and dividing. And so therefore, we will not talk about politics occasionally, except when I'm on the pulpit and I have the mic. Um, but I hate it because it, it tends to divide. It, it, it's the natural progression is to divide. Once we start voting, we start dividing. So I hate, I hate the election season. season. Okay, but, um, okay, so there are things that I am not happy about with our president. There's some very specific things. And again, I don't want to go into detail, and I'm, this is not a political pulpit that I'm trying to make. It is, it's my personal opinion, that there are very specific things that it's, even as a Christian I, I have issues with, okay? So I'm not happy. I spent $75 on a couple of prescriptions yesterday. I'm not happy, right? And I got, <laughs> I, just, I don't know, so, like Josh, Pastor Josh is so even-keeled and a mellow guy. Well, you should have seen me in the car yesterday <laughs> after I dropped $75 on two bottles of pills. <laughs> right? Okay. So I'm not, I'm not a happy camper. And you know what? It's okay to not be a happy camper. But like, if I went to bed seething and angry and vicious towards President Obama, like if I'm spending more time being teed off about the president than I am spending in the presence and the goodness of God, then there's a problem. I have a problem with authority. I'm not saying I have to be a yes man. I have to agree with everything that he says. But if I'm stewing, and if I'm bitter, and if I'm angry at this man, uh, it's not the man that I'm really angry about. It's God. Years ago, uh, and again, it is, you know, to be offended at people is a natural thing, but if it is consuming your time, if it, see, we have the tools to overcome. We have the tools. We have the tools to have power and, and put on our lives. We, we've got it all. We know all the information. We know all the knowledge, but, we, but these, these things that block us from doing it, and offense is one. So again, if we are offended at people, it keeps, it keeps God from growing us and maturing us. I remember years ago, I was, I was probably the age of my daughter, maybe even a little, but I was either seven or eight. And, and you guys know that my dad, who's in Africa right now, you know, he was a pastor. He's, he was pastor. He started this church, started the vineyard. And when we started the vineyard, it's, we started it in, the, in our home, and, um, which is great. Like home church is really cool, right? Because you really develop that community feel. It's really awesome until the wacko shows up 
at 2 o'clock in the morning <laughs> wanting to speak to the pastor about all of their problems. All right? this, happened, this happened quite a bit. This happens. It's ministry, right? Um, but I remember this guy showing up. And it's very, very vivid. He's on the porch, and I was in the kitchen. It was super late. He woke everybody up, and he's got all kinds of problems, right? And he's, a, he's an angry young man. He's very frustrated. He's got all these difficulties in his life, and he's got no victory. He's got no breakthrough. And I, just, I, could, I could hear the conversation going back and forth. My dad, I mean, the grace that my dad has for people is just incredible. It really is. The grace and the patience that he has. I don't have it, folks. I'm telling you. Don't ring my doorbell at 2 in the morning. If, and I don't have it. I know my wife doesn't have it. I saw... Oh, she's... I'm going to leave it alone. Um, and so he's, you know, he's trying to pastor this. And I could hear the tone. I could hear my dad's gentle voice. And I could hear the tension and the anger in this young man's voice. And, the, you know, and it was just almost kind of attacking and... and and then, I, so I couldn't really hear the whole conversation, but then I heard something that just stuck with me for the rest of my life. He said, it's your fault that I'm this way. So, this young man's problems, he projected his problems on the nearest authority figure that he had, which was his pastor, and he blamed his pastor for everything that had gone wrong in his life. And, and then we will do that with God. That's all that it was. It was with an extension of God. This young man, he never broke that cycle, folks. He never changed the way that he was thinking. He never had the transformation of mind. He was never healed of that. And he spent, I mean, we still, he, he still calls. <laughs> he still calls us and tells us that it's our fault. Probably one of, probably one of the smartest individuals in the valley his dad was a professor over there. Um, grew up in the church. Spent his entire life, and I'm not exaggerating in saying this, from church to church to church to church to church. Like, every church in this valley knows this guy because it's all their fault. And he will call to this day and saying, if you guys were real Christians, you would minister to my needs. He lives in his car, smarter than all of us put together. And he just couldn't get past that, that issue, that, that struggle, that, that pain. Okay, so he couldn't get past that offense. All right, here we go. This is going to help. Here's your antidote. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. Do you know that? Yeah. yeah. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So there's spiritual strongholds. There's, there's, there's obstacles. There's spiritual obstacles in your way that are keeping you from breaking through. Offense is, is a big stronghold. And how do you overcome offense? We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. 
Okay, what's the knowledge of God? That God is good, that he cares for you, that he loves you. When you are down, when you're going through difficulties, when you are struggling, he does not kick you when you're down. He's there to help you get out of it. He's there to make sure that you go through this process in a healthy way so that you can survive the next struggle that's coming up next. He wants you to get through this struggle, but he doesn't want you to get comfortable. The, God, the knowledge of God is that God is always good, that he has his best intentions in mind. And if we live in this area of offense where we're offended with people in authority, well, all that is is a projection that we're actually offended with God. We're offended with God and we don't realize it. So we tear down that stronghold. God, I'm really, deep down inside, I'm really, I'm really sad that I'm not healed, that I'm unhealthy. Pray that prayer. So instead of harboring bitterness, take that before the Lord in God's presence, and you process that pain through prayer, and, 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 and you, pro- you pray your tears, and you pray your disappointments, and you pray your fears in God's presence, and he will heal your heart. All right, here we go. And we take captive every thought, and we make it obedient to Christ. All right, there it is. So, I don't know, like maybe you've got mommy issues or daddy issues. And you've got these things, like, like you're 45 years old, right? Dish. Dish. <laughs> I know. Um, at this point in your life, it's no longer your parents' fault. And so when you hear these things coming into your head, oh, you're a failure because mom and dad set you up for failure, is that... Where is that coming from? It's coming from the pit of hell. Because God wants you to be responsible for your own stuff. So whenever those negative thoughts begin to come into your mind, you have to capture them. It's like a butterfly net. You need to catch it as soon as you possibly can because they're going to keep on coming. Like if you struggle with insecurity, these, th- these thoughts are going to come into your mind. People really don't like you. They don't really like you. You're ugly. You're dumb. And you've got to capture those thoughts because they're going to come. It's called temptation. They're going to come. They're going to come at you at a a constant level because it's in the air. The enemy of God has control over the airwaves, but we have to capture those thoughts and give them over to the authority of Christ so they don't wreck our lives and so we don't end up sleeping in our car. You've got to capture those thoughts. You give them over to to God. It's, It's a very difficult thing to do. Our internal thought life is confusing. All right. Four paths of power. Here we go. This one's cool. The four paths of power. There's a lot more. Like I said, the Holy Spirit said I don't have enough time to go over all of them. Remember we said that the kingdom of God is this upside down world. And so if you want power, then you need to have weakness. Right? If you want to advance, do you know that you actually have to retreat? Temptation, like I said, whenever these things in the airwaves get put into your mind, oh, you're, you're a dude, you're a man, you have needs, you have to satisfy your needs. Again, this is stuff that's in the air, right? It's, it's called temptation. You've got to capture these thoughts, okay? Okay, power. Like, we think that we get power. Uh, in the world, we get power by lifting weights. And, you know, I mean, same is somewhat true spiritually. Like, we need to build our spiritual faith muscles, Right? But when, ta- when temptation comes, 
What are we supposed to do when temptation comes? We capture the thought and we resist temptation and we push back on it, right? Okay, here's the problem with our posture. Here's the problem with, with what that looks like in the kingdom of God. Because when you, have you ever like been tempted and you, you, you fled and you ran and you didn't get sucked in? And you're just like, phew, the devil didn't get me that time, right? It's kind of a good feeling but you're still kind of living in fear. Like the devil's hiding behind the bush and he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna get you again. Okay, so here, this is going to be probably one of the best takeaway points that we have. When we resist temptation, it is not a defensive posture that we ought to be taking. It's not a defensive move. It is offensive. Listen to what James says. James 4. Or do you think that Scripture says without reason that he, is, that he jealously longs for the Spirit he caused to dwell in us? So James is saying, okay, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit living and dwelling in you. That gives you grace. But he says he gives us more grace. This is why the Scripture says that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And then here we go. Submit yourselves. This isn't that I hate that. Submit yourselves. We hate submitting, but this is the truth. You want power, you have to submit. You've got to tap out with God. God's going to beat you in a wrestling match. Ask Abraham. Submit yourselves to God. Okay? Resist the devil. And what? He will flee from you. So when we, again, this is upside down kingdom stuff. When we resist the devil, it actually attacks him. So when you, when you have a temptation and you say no, you've actually kicked sand in the devil's face. So take, I mean, I don't know, I don't know pride probably the wrong word. You advanced when you resisted the devil. It's, it's, it's one of the keys of spiritual warfare. See, God, is, God has called us uh, we start off as dumb sheep, right? Jesus says we're all a bunch of sheep. We're all dumb. We fall off cliffs. We put buckets on our heads. We run into stuff. We have no common sense at all. And so most of us spend our lives living our lives as dumb sheep in the kingdom of God. But he wants to advance us into something higher, into something greater. He wants to advance us into God's kingdom as sons and daughters of God. And so when we resist, we actually go on the offensive to God. Um, now here's a... Another really great example from my history with God. So we did a, years ago, we did the study on spiritual warfare, on taking over strongholds. And so instead of resisting temptation to advance the kingdom of God, uh, we had a bunch of individuals, and I'm not, this is, this is what they thought that they needed to do. It, it was just wrong. So they're like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go beat up the devil. We're going to go pick a fight with the devil. And a group of people went down to the local cult shop, and they went in, guns a-blazing, Bibles a-blaring, and they started, you know, saying, said, we bind you in the name of Jesus. Uh, they got their key teeth kicked in. <laughs> they lost that fight. They, they came in with this attitude that they were spiritually superior than everybody else, and they lost. Like, weird things happened. <laughs> They got ran out. I mean, Jesus' disciples had the same experience, right? 
They went out and they, 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 were, they were functioning in God's power. And then all of a sudden they prayed for a, some demonic people and they got physically beat up. And they came back to Jesus bleeding and crying, their tours clothed. And they're like, what happened? I thought you gave us all power and authority. And what, God, what, Jesus, what happened? Why did we get beat up? Why did we lose this fight? And, because he's, and Jesus says, because this type, spiritual warfare comes out only by prayer and what? Fasting. And fasting is an act of submission. And so, like, if you want victory in your life and you think God's called you to fast, you've got to be careful because fasting is an act of submission. It's not a spiritual badge that you wear. That's why Jesus says, you know, when you fast, you better do it in private. You know, we'll do public fast because we just think that we need to train into that. But you know what's more powerful than a public fast is a private fast where you're doing it and no one knows about it. No one can see your ribs showing. Oh, I'm, I'm so super spiritual. I'm fasting for God, right? Because is that humble? Is that submitting? No. It's, it's the sign of a super apostle that wants to be recognized for his good deeds. It's better that we live this lifestyle of prayer and fasting where we can overcome and temptation. Like these same people that went into this cult shop, uh, one guy's marriage fell apart and ended in divorce. I don't know what happened to the other people. Isn't that weird? The ones that are strong are the ones that resist temptation. They actually undo the works of the devil. All right. If I could have the band ushers come to the front, I've got to get over these few points real quick. Right now. So resist the devil, he will flee from you. Okay, next one. You got it? Okay. Last week was talking about grace. One of the, the, one of the things about getting power into our lives is that you just gotta, you gotta receive it. Jesus says, I'm going to send to you, I mean, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. I don't have, I'll, I'll do this next service. I'm sorry, you guys don't get the robe. But I got this really cool robe that I wore at, at Halloween. And you have to actually literally clothe yourselves in God's power. It's not for you to gain this power. And then the next one is that, uh, well, all right. Acknowledge that, uh, acknowledge your weakness and kill your pride. And I'm going to end with this first. This is 2 Corinthians 13, verses 3 through 5. Okay, since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me, he is not weak in dealing with you, but he is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, Yet he lives by the power of God. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet God's power will live with him in our dealings with you. Here we go. Examine yourselves. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Another version says, test yourselves. Make sure that you are solid in faith. Don't drift along think, taking everything for granted. Give yourselves a regular spiritual checkup. You need to finish. You need firsthand evidence, not just mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is with you. Test it out. If you, test, if you fail the test, do something about it. Is Jesus with you this morning? 
Jesus came in weakness. We've got to get this into our mind. The reason why he was powerful is because Logos, the second member of the Trinity, God in his whatever dimension he's in, he enters into our time and our space at the point of nativity. He becomes weak. Not only did he become a baby, he became a bunch of DNA and genes and the weakest form of life that you could possibly imagine. He became pure weakness so that he could be strong. When he hung on the cross, it was an expression of weakness for us that released power. So when we are weak, we are strong. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. God, right now, I pray that you will give us the strength, the ability, the wisdom to push past these barriers and these strongholds and these pitfalls that keep us from living a powerful life. And God, right now, I pray that you will just release into us the the things that, that we can practically do to release power. But most importantly, God, I pray that we will just put on the cloak of power, God, that we will receive it by grace, that we will receive your authority and your power to, to, to be strong in faith. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.